You're listening to the Enviro Show here on SAFM. Well, let's start with, uh, let's put our money where our mouth is. We're going to talk to Daniel Clarsen, who's the managing director of some, an organisation called Find a Lift. And he is actually, he's Mr. Carpool, because I think it's he who came up with the idea of having a carpool week during Transport Month, which is indeed October. And to explain himself, we've got him on the line. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? So uh, Excellent. Thank you. So this is your big idea, is it? Is it? Can you claim fatherhood of the carpool week? Yes, I can, actually. This is the second year that it's um, been running. Last year was the first year. Uh, and it saw uh, 25 supporting organizations all working together to create awareness around carpooling. And um, last year we had a, a, a great theme on uh, running over five days. Uh, this year we've got a simplest theme. We learned from our first experiences, and um, it's really just to encourage more people to participate in Carpool Week this year. Okay. Just explain to us carpool. It's also sometimes called a ride share. I think in America they call it ride share. Just explain to us, or for those of us who don't know exactly what it is, the principle of it. Yeah, so uh, carpooling uh, or ride-sharing or being in a lift club is sharing a journey with one or more people for a part or for the full duration of your journey or, or of your commute. So it's just basically not traveling alone. Okay, so it just means that I must say, you know, as one as one sort of walks or runs or whatever and you see cars traveling past you and you couldn't, I mean, sometimes I count how many cars there are with just one person in it. Yes. And I often think, yes. you know, we've got to come up with smaller cars or, or we've got to find a way of dealing with this. So your way of dealing is it is just fill the car. Yes, exactly. Uh, the amount of fuel, the price of fuel actually went up by 87% over the last five years. But in that last five years, the amount of cars on our road uh, increased by 22%. So the cars are getting more, people are getting more, uh, the, the transport situation, the demands and stresses are getting a lot worse on our transport networks and infrastructure. So... Alternative transport, uh, like public transport, walking, cycling, and carpooling should really be encouraged to get more people uh, off of single occupancy cars. I, I mean, it's a great idea. It's sometimes quite difficult to actually make manifest because, you know, yeah. one of the reasons why one takes a car is either it's raining or it's just more convenient or there just isn't any public transport going your way, let's face it, yeah. or you're driving at a different time of day. So how, I think one of the things about Find a Lift is that your plan is to um, to help people literally find a lift. How does it work? Yeah, exactly. Uh a member of the public can go on findlift.co.za, um, do a quick registration, and then within uh, a personal account can then add a journey um, by confirming location and destination. And then what the system will do is it will automatically match you with others traveling the same direction. So it just simplifies the communications process of actually finding someone to share with. Um, now, I know people don't want to share with strangers, et cetera, et cetera, but what we are trying to encourage is... Um, really focusing on behavioral change and, and getting to people that are driving the same direction at, at the same time each day um, for the commute, getting these people to consider sharing maybe one day a week uh, to see if it works for them. And then not simply thinking you're sharing with a stranger and getting in a car with, with someone else, but building some trust beforehand and then just just, just giving it a shot and seeing if it, if it can work for you or not. Yeah, so it's kind of about building communities as well. Yes, yes, there's a, there's a very great uh, social cohesion aspect. Uh, and, and also a, a lot of members that we've interviewed in the past said it's helped them make more friends. Uh, some have uh, some friends for life. Uh, they share cooking tips on a daily basis. Uh, some girls are, are chatting so much in the car they, they uh, drove past their turn off. So there's mm. a lot of fun also to be mm. had in couples. And, you know, whilst they may be strangers, you're not going to team people up with um, with anybody who isn't already committed to this because you'll only be co um, teaming people up with people who've already signed up. So the very fact that yes. somebody signed up to find a lift means that they're that sort of person. Yes, uh, the, the system matches you with people of similar interests. So if, if, if you do not allow smoking, then uh, you won't be matched with someone that, that actually smokes in the car. So there's this various aspects that has also built into into the system. You know, I guess it's not just about who you're sharing a, a lift with, but who your children could be sharing a lift with. And when you mentioned the lift clubs, you know, very often school school mums yes. or or even dads, you know, arrange lift clubs. But would you want your child to be getting into the car of a stranger? Do you know what I mean? Mm. How do you allay yeah. people's fears on that? Uh, sorry, can you just repeat that? Uh, you know, uh, people may be a little bit nervous about having their children get into the car of a stranger. Yeah. Are you able to sort of, you know, make people feel more comfortable about that? 
Uh, it, it would be on a, a case-to-case basis, mm. uh, meeting with the potential person that you are sharing with and, you know, checking out their, their Facebook profiles or doing some research on them to to kind of find to figure out that this is not a, a dodgy person uh, and then, then maybe give it a try from there. And, and also it would be great if the schools can team up parents um, and, and kind of confirm that these are parents so you know that your child is being transported perhaps by another parent. Uh, that could also be an avenue that we could, could look at. Yeah, yeah, as I say, it comes back to community building, doesn't it? So yeah. the week, actual carpool week, is October the 6th to the 10th. So what you're suggesting is that people just give it a try for that week, see how it goes? Yes, there's two parts, actually, to carpooling, or two types of carpooling. You have informal carpooling, which is done by friends, family members and colleagues, and then formal carpooling. So that's with someone outside your, your circle of friends who you would potentially find on a a journey matching database such as finder.zero.zero. But for this year's carpool week, we want to get everyone involved and, and to raise awareness of the benefits of carpooling. And we're trying to make it cool again by encouraging people to share a car with a friend, a, co- a colleague, a family member. And then by taking a carpool selfie, uh, it can be funny. Uh, and then sharing this on, on social media with the hashtags, give it a go, hashtag carpool week essay. And by that, we're trying to just try and get celebrities involved and thousands of people to, to participate in Carpool Week. Yeah, I'm sure there could be a very funny book come out of this. Um, <laughs> Maybe, what is space? But, uh, you know, just thinking in terms of finances, because one thing is going to make you friends, it's going to, you know, save the planet, et cetera, et cetera, but it's all going to save you a lot of money. How do people organize? The, is it a case where you do it one week and I'll do it the next week? Or, you know, does it balance out financially? Or Yeah. Um, so, just some, some stats on, on filling up your tank. It, it costs uh, 164 rand more to fill a 30-litre tank than uh, two years ago. So, the financial savings from splitting the, the fuel costs uh, and also the price of wear and tear. A lot of people usually don't calculate the cost of wear and tear into their motoring bill, and, and it's actually a substantial amount. So, being able to split just with one person can half your fuel bill, uh, can half the fuel bill and, and that's, that's really great for, for, your, for your pocket. Daniel, do you walk the talk do you, or, or do you work from home and then you don't have to go anywhere? Uh, I actually work from home currently. Okay, <laughs> yes. so you don't... Um, and you, yeah. So you don't really have to do any carpooling as such? No, 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 no. I, I, my carbon footprint is kind of zero with regards to transport. Excellent, excellent. Good <laughs> man. Well, Daniel, I'm going to give out your details. Of, and you operate nationwide, so wherever you are in the country, you can see if you can help find people. Yes, that's correct. Excellent. Find us And also there's a Carpool Week website as well. Okay. If people want to go check it out, um, it's carpoolweek.co.za. And there's information on there. We'll be sharing selfies on there, etc. Um, so people can go on there for more information. Excellent. Well, I'm going to give out that detail once again. That's probably the one to start with. That's www.carpoolweek.co.za. Carpoolweek.co.za. But if you want to find out a little bit more about Finderlift, it's finderlift.co.za. Dot ZA. You're listening to the Enviro Show. Stay with us. SAFM Current Affairs continue to look at the issues. We look at developing stories and stories not in the mainstream by giving you an evening update on weekend PM Live, Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 9 p.m. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Right, well, next up here on uh, the Enviro Show, we're going to be finding out a little bit about waste because coming up between the 6th and the 10th of October is WasteCon 2014. It's a waste conference and it's been put together by the Institute of Waste Management of Southern Africa. Um, so it's going to be interesting to find out what they do because we have a whole lot of waste in South Africa that all needs to be sorted. Well, who better to tell us than Dr. Suzanne Ulofsar? She's the president of the International of the uh, sorry Institute of Waste Management of Southern Africa. Got her on the line. Hi, Suzanne. Good afternoon. So I imagine you're getting pretty busy to organise this WasteCon. Is this the first WasteCon that we've had, or has it been going a number of years? No, it's been going on for quite a number of years already. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, this year is already around the 20th or so. I'm not 100% oh, sure. But um, WasteCon has been around for quite a number of years. And it is the flagship of the Institute of Waste Management. And um, we run this on a biannual basis. So every year, uh, second year, around the first week of October normally, that is when we hold this conference. Gosh, 20 odd years or so, I'm just wondering how much, how much bigger the waste issue has become. We've certainly become a whole lot more conscious of it. Is our, are our waste problems a whole lot bigger than they were two decades ago? 
I definitely think so. Um, as people probably can expect, um, waste generation is directly linked to the population and economic growth. Mm. Now, in South Africa, we sit with a quite a big population, this annual growth in population, um, as well as we are working towards economic growth. So both of those two factors influence the waste generation. And in, as of 2012, um, South Africa generated in the order of 108 million tons of waste. Now, that is all-inclusive, uh, from industrial waste to municipal solid waste. Uh, about 20 million tons of that waste uh, was municipal solid waste. And if you uh, break that even down further, then it actually means that every person in South Africa throws away about just over a kilogram of waste on a daily basis. You. And that is quite astonishing. That is a bit, it's pretty scary, isn't it? Did you say 128 million tonnes per annum? No, 108 million. Oh, 108 million. It's, you know, it's a sort of semantics when you get to that amount, isn't it? So approximately a kilogram of waste a day. What sort of waste are we looking at? Are we looking at food waste, industrial waste, e-waste? What are we looking at? Um, we're looking at a mixture, um, but probably the biggest component of the general waste stream is municipal solid waste. And of that waste, quite a significant component is organic, uh, which will be our kitchen waste and our garden waste. And then the remainder will largely be um, packaging waste. Because as consumers, we buy a lot of stuff that is packaged. And when we get to the home and we unwrap that, it's the packaging that ends up as waste. Um, so, yes, the packaging waste normally um, is recyclable, um, most of the packaging waste. Um, in South Africa, we have um, achieved already about a 50% post-consumer um, packaging waste recycling, but that means we sit with still about 50% that's not being recycled. So I would really like to urge your listeners to, if they don't separate waste at source already at their households, to start doing it. It doesn't take a lot of time. It is not inconvenient. All you have to do is have two bins in your kitchen instead of one. In the one, you put the wet waste, and the other one, you put the recyclables. And the recyclables, or the dry waste, and that is mostly the recyclables, that can be taken uh, to a drop-off center or can be collected if there is a curbside collection system. Um, and that waste can then be sorted and enter into um, the recycling streams. Whereas the wet waste, on the other hand, your kitchen waste and your garden waste, there's also quite innovative waste that one can deal with that waste. If you have space, you can consider composting, starting a compost heap where you can mix your uh, kitchen and your garden waste, um, generate compost, then you don't have to go and buy when you want to uh, do a bit of gardening. Uh, or alternatively, you can also take this um, to a drop-off facility um, where the waste can then go to um, composting. Mm -hmm. um, there are also options to generate electricity from um, these waste streams. Um, one technology option is anaerobic digestion, where it's basically um, natural organisms that break down organic waste, and in the process, they give off um, methane gas that can then be captured and through a conversion process be used to generate um, electricity. So there's a number of yeah. things that we Yeah, they're definitely, I mean, there's okay. definitely, a, a, you know, we, we're sort of hit with this information all the time. And I mean, as, as people within households, it is easy and it can be done. And I suppose in some ways we're sort of soft targets, which is to get ourselves, our little acts together variously. But the sort of waste that what concerns me is, is the bigger stuff, you know. The appliances, the e-waste, if you go to any company, they are consistently upgrading all their, um, you know, all their computers, their hardware in restaurants, they're looking for new cookers, uh, fridges, appliances, all that big stuff that, you know, just fills you with horror, the idea of it going into landfill. What, what is, can be done about that? Well, you are absolutely right. Um, electronic waste is currently considered as the fastest growing waste stream in in the world, not mm. only in South Africa. Mm. Um, and part of it is because technology develops so quickly. And, I mean, all of us who have computers and cell phones, we want to upgrade um, every now and, get, and again to get to the latest technology. So thereby we actually all contribute to um, electronic waste. And what people don't realize is electronic waste is actually um, quite harmful to the environment. 
it takes a bit of um, innovation to dismantle them correctly in order to get the different waste streams out that can be recycled. But a lot of what is in um, electronic waste can be recycled. And a lot of it is actually um, precious minerals. And if we can um, up the recycling rate of our e-waste, um, the demands on our natural resources will be so much less because then it means that we don't have to go and mine for the minerals. We can rather just mine the electronic waste to get it out. And there are already companies um, in South Africa doing e-waste recycling. Um, probably people would have seen some of the big computer um, firms that sell computers from time to time um, give you special offers. If you bring in your old computer, you can get a slight discount. Mm. Um, and a lot of these places also nowadays have drop-offs where you can take your old computer stuff too, or your old cell phones even. Um, and what is quite neat also, the equipment that is still um, in a fairly good condition um, that can be reconditioned and um, fixed, they actually do that um, and find a market there into the second-hand business, um, and then it's only the parts that you cannot really uh, do anything else with that goes into the recycling. Yeah, it's a jolly good idea. In fact, you you know, very often you see packaging that says, you know, you can recycle this plastic bag. There should be packaging information on, on every bit of uh, electronic equipment that says, please recycle this once it's it's finished with. Absolutely. Because it, it's otherwise... And, it's, mm. People don't always um, know even what is considered electronic waste. Um, it is basically anything that works either with a battery or that you can plug into electricity. That is considered electronic it's, waste. It's kind of a job opportunity waiting to happen, really, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, I think there is still a lot of opportunities. Um, the main thing is just that the people wanting to enter into this business need to make sure that they have the correct checks and balances in place. Because as I said, um, some of the components are very harmful to humans. So if they don't know what they are doing, it can potentially be, be negative uh, to human health as well as the environment. But manual dismantling of um, electronic equipment um, is probably the the route to go in South Africa, provided then that all the different components get disposed of in the correct way, um, either through recycling or to a hazardous facility where it cannot be, at the parts that cannot be recycled. Suzanne, talking of hazardous, the one thing that always worries me a bit is, is the industrial waste, is all the chemicals, all those sort of hazardous things that you can buy in the supermarket that, you know, it's a dangerous chemicals. What do we do with them? Do we do we pour them down the sink? Is there somewhere where you know, as a regular domestic person, that you can take these things? What what does big industry do? Big industry quite often um, have their own disposal facilities on site, or they make use of uh, commercial waste disposal companies to take care of the um, waste. And even though. Us as consumers often sit and we don't know what to do um, with waste streams like this. There is actually a um, piece of legislation, the Consumer Protection Act, that says if you have a waste stream that you cannot safely dispose of in the normal disposal systems that the municipality provide, that you should actually take that material back to the place where you bought it from. And they are supposed to take it back and make sure that it's safely disposed of. I know it's not quite being implemented in South Africa, but we have the law in place. And um, I think it's time that the retailers and the distributors and even the manufacturers come to the table to assist us to, to be more responsible with um, hazardous materials. Well, hopefully they will come to the table, but hopefully they'll also be part of the of WasteCon. Is it open to the public or is it for business or is it for, for municipalities? Who's, who's the conference actually for? The conference is open to anybody. Um, all you have to do is go onto the conference website, which is www.wastecon.co.za, and you can register there. And once you register it, um, you will receive um, the required information um, and payment needs to be made, and then you can attend uh, WasteCon. Uh, there will be in the order of 78 speakers, all experts in their field, yeah. that will share with us their latest um, information, um, what they are busy with. We also have exhibitions. Um, there's also about 78 exhibitors. 
but people must just note places are limited. We can unfortunately only accommodate 500 delegates this year, and registrations are starting to stream in. So if you are still interested, don't wait any longer. Go onto our website, register. Uh, WasteCon is taking place from the 6th till the 10th of October at the Lord Charles Hotel in Somerset. Yeah, so I can say it's happening here in the Cape at the Lord Charles, Charles Somerset. Uh, Sorry, Lord Charles Hotel in Somerset West. However, waste is a national problem. Are there waste cons planned for elsewhere in the country? Um, as I said, it's a conference that we hold every every alternate year, yeah. and we rotate that. Okay. This year it's down in Cape Town. The next one will probably be in Durban, if I'm not mistaken, and then we will be back in Gauteng thereafter. Um, we have a number of branches in the Institute, and each branch gets the opportunity to organize a waste con. Um, so we rotate it between the branches. Okay, and if, if there are people in you know, smaller areas who are just never going to get to any of them but would like to know more, what sort of level of information have you got on your website, on the, on the Institute's website? Um, the Institute's got quite a, a number of interesting um, information brochures, um, that specifically speaks about recycling and also uh, people wanting to set up a business in waste. Uh, you will find some information on our website. Yeah, and good. if the information is not on our website, there may be a link to a website where you can find it. Oh, so we try to keep our website current and updated um, with information, with the requirements um, of people phoning in. We also have a frequently asked question um, section there. Um, and then I also would like to encourage people, if they don't know where to take their waste, there's also a very nice website where they can go and have a look where the closest recycling centre or drop-off facility is. And that website is www.mywaste.co.za. Place to start, mywaste.co.za, mywaste.co.za. And the Institute's website is www.iwmsa.co.za iwmsa.co.za But if you'd like to know a little bit more about that conference once again, 6th to the 10th of October at the Lord Charles Hotel in Somerset West, it's wastecon.co.za, wastecon.co.za. Dr. Suzanne Olofsa, President of the IWMSA, thank you so much. Very best of luck and enjoy the conference. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Take care. Coming up on SAFM Sports Special this weekend, it's Telcom Knockout Action Time and our Saturday match is Supersport United against Free State Stars. On Sunday, we'll follow Orlando Pirates up against Polokwane City. Also coming up on Saturday, live news from the Alfred Daniel Lynx Championships in Scotland. It's Formula One action in Japan this week and we'll look ahead to the SA Transplant Association National Games. This and so much more, only on SAFM Sports Special. Saturday from 3 to 7 and Sunday from 4 to 6 with myself, Brad Brown. Don't miss it. Sick of always missing your favorite SAFM shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free podcast service that allows you to access them directly from your cell phone, PC or tablet, whenever and wherever you're ready to listen. Go to safm.co.za and click on podcast. This takes you to the SAFM page on iono.fm. Follow at iono.fm on Twitter or like it on Facebook for regular updates. You never have to miss your favorite shows. SAFM podcasts powered by iono.fm. The Enviro Show. Next up here on the Enviro Show, a little bit of food. We thought it was time to uh, get get, uh, get get our taste buds uh, tingling because in the studio with me, I have the owner of a restaurant called Pure Good. In fact, it's an organic restaurant, Pure Good. And they get food from uh, from Philippi, which is very exciting, all the way from a farm there. But I think there's also a little bit of a job creation aspect. But I think there's something of a personal story because the owner of Pure Good, the organic restaurant, is a lady by the name of Shannon Smuts, who is right with me here in the studio. Hi, Shannon. Hi. Nice to have you with us. And uh, I, when I say you've got a little bit of a personal story, because I didn't think you don't you didn't set out to be in food. How no. did it come about? Well, um, I've always dreamed of working in the food industry. I was lucky enough to grow up in restaurants. Um, both my parents had uh, restaurants in Natal. And I worked for a publishing house in a magazine. And when MasterChef SA started auditioning, I auditioned for the second season and was lucky enough to make it through to the finalists, the top 16. And I was first eliminated, which I wasn't expecting at all. 
but um, consequently, I know. Oh, <laughs> actually, not shame. I like mm. to call myself first from the back because in my mind, I feel like I actually won. Um, I had a two-month uh, sabbatical from work, and I got in touch with uh, Bapumalela Children's Home, which is an orphanage I used to work for in or volunteer at in high school. And they um, let me know that they had started a fountain of youth. I mean, sorry, fountain of hope youth farm out in Philippi, and it's for um, orphaned youth that are older than 18, so no longer dependent on the state. And they decided to start farming the land and create almost a small sustainable business to uh, keep the program, eventually to get the program sustainable. I loved this idea. And after throwing around a few ideas with either organic veggie boxes or something, um, it kind of just steamrolled into Pure Good, which the, was the restaurant I own now. And we get um, quite a bit of our produce from the farm. I go there once a week to teach the kids food education, how to cook, um, how to utilize what they grow on the farm. And then we get all our spinach, kale, beetroots. Um, we're starting to start farming uh, leafy herbs now again as well. And yeah, all of that is part of our conscious capitalism movement that we we're moving towards. Well, that sounds like a jolly good move. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Can I just go back to the beginning? You say both your parents were in the food business. What, what's your sort of um, your food literacy? What kind of food did you grow up on? Because, you know, the food trends in sustainable food and organic food have changed quite dramatically yes, since you were a kid. Oh, yes. No, um, well, my parents had a, a steakhouse, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> way off and uh, an a la carte like five star dining restaurant in Newcastle in Natal um, and when I it's actually been probably for the last 10 years my I was going to go to chef school uh, after completing high school and I did a gap year in New York and I ended up um, living the American diet put on 24 kilograms <laughs> and came back uh, with a completely unhealthy relationship with food and in the last 10 years I've just grown to, uh, I don't know how to say it, I appreciate the clean eating. And I saw a gap in the markets in that um, people who, who work in offices and in office areas never really are offered the food choices that will enable them to have a healthy lifestyle. It's always, you know, like a samosa on the side of the, on the corner or toasted sandwiches. Um, and I thought, well, what a better way to kind of marry this this wonderful project that's been happening in Philippi with a, a clever business opportunity and uh, start feeding feeding the workforces. Well, it's, it's another excellent story. You say you've, you've grown, in actual fact, you shrunk. I don't know what you did with the 24 kilos that you put on, but it's, it seems to have disappeared. Was, was that part of the thing? It's, I've just got to get rid of this surplus stuff. I think it was. Um, it took me a while to figure out how to actually get rid of it. I'm lucky enough in that I grew up... Um, allergic to a lot of things so my mom actually we had a very healthy upbringing um and then obviously uh, spent a year spent in america is for those of the listeners who've been there understand that everything is just packed with sugar um i was actually quite astounded at the the rate that i was able to pick up weight so quickly and it took me a very long time to shed it all and it was only in the last say about two years where I cut out all processed foods, refined sugars, um, stopped adding sugar to everything and just started focusing on almost almost like a, a raw vegan lifestyle but still eating meat, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like a flexitarian lifestyle. Yeah, well, I'm sure Tim um, Noakes would have a lot to say about the meat bit anyway. Oh, uh, yes. But, but it's not just America who's guilty of uh, using a lot of sugar and processed foods. Increasingly, we have uh, convenience foods here, despite the fact that everybody's getting quite, quite well, some people, if they're lucky enough, are in a position to be going fresh. But there's, there's still a huge amount of processed food here. Oh, yeah. what, what, are you, what are you actually offering there at Pure Good? Well, um, we do quite a wide variety of uh, wraps, smoothies, um, raw juices, salads are our speciality. We do uh, six house salads, which we also convert into wraps, if you'd like. Um, and then we do, I think what sets us apart from everyone else is that we always, we offer the alternatives that people are following. Not, you know, not everybody can follow the 
similar expansing diets or wants to be paleo or some people, you know, we get a lot of vegetarians and vegans and what people appreciate is if they're not eating bread, we always have a, a substitute for them or if they are not. Like what? Like what? I mean, I keep we thinking, like to put, I've got to get rid of bread from my diet. What's the option? We like to, anything that we do with bread, we like to offer um, instead of the bread, you can have it on a on a bed of raw spinach and rocket, which as breakfasts go is just a perfect replacement and it adds a huge abundance of extra protein to your dish. Um, with regards to, we do burgers, then we offer them, to, we put the burgers either on a bed of cabbage, um, wrapping the burger in two cabbage leaves, uh, lettuce wraps. There's, there's quite a wide variety of things you can do. I think it's more of a mental thing that people can't separate wheat or grain products with a meal. If it's not there, then they don't think it's going to be s- substantial. You talk about it being a mental thing, and I'm thinking it's more of a woman-tal thing. <laughs> it's, you, do you, I have to say, the six-house salad sounds yummy, but they're probably, maybe the you know the other gender might be thinking, uh-uh. Do, uh, wh- Funny what's enough, your clientele? We actually get, we, we have, I'm lucky enough that I'm in the bottom floor of a publishing house of uh, four women's magazine titles. So we do have a lot of female clientele, but our... Probably our, our most regular clientele, we get a lot of parliamentarians who enjoy all our healthy food. I think it's more that they don't have a choice, <laughs> but they enjoy it nevertheless. And um, most of the people that come and, and make the replacements, you know, cutting out grain and stuff, tend to be men. I think uh, the, the our women clientele love our smoothies and our juices, and obviously they would more regularly order the salads. But I have noticed that there's a much... Uh, quicker growth in our male customers that are actually asking for the healthy alternatives. And salads is not just a bunch of old lettuce anymore, is no, it? You've no. got six house salads. I can't let you go without having a recipe for at least one. What What is your most popular, most sort of substantial salad? Um, oh, gosh, there's so many. It's so hard uh, to pick one of them. Well, I'll give my favorite one. Uh, we do a salad called the Wild Hippie, and it's, our, it's actually our vegan-based salad, but it's enjoyed by but anyone um, and that's a base it's a bed of cabbage with raw broccoli grated raw beetroot um, mung bean sprouts toasted seeds uh, we do it with a nut butter dressing and finely chopped spinach I'm trying to think if I've left anything out there yeah so toasted seeds uh, sprouts cabbage raw beetroot raw broccoli and a nut butter dressing. Yeah. I can feel the muscles rippling already. Nut <laughs> a nut butter nut butter dressing is it? How do you do that? So what we do is we um, we roast our nuts. We either use macadamia or peanuts or cashews, depending on. We try to run on a no waste policy, so we use everything that we have, um, and then we roast those, blitz them up to form a paste, almost like a peanut butter, and then with that we mix with a little bit of hot water, olive oil, lemon juice, salt and pepper, and I like to add just a little bite of chili. And then it uh, forms a really nice vegan-based salad dressing. Mm. Are you going to be franchising? Uh, might we see one pure goods all over the country? Oh, we hope so. I um, My goal is to actually get more into the, the corporate areas. So um, take, you know, a lot of big businesses, big accounting firms, big um, financial institutions, they have uh, in-house cafeterias. So pure goods aim is to, to start, kind of tendering for those cafeterias because we actually honestly believe that a workforce that is fed correctly um, and not high-processed foods, high-sugary foods, are actually going to be more productive. And a more productive workforce is only going to be more beneficial for anyone. So from that's my main goal, to yeah. get into all the, the business parts. Well, c- coming back to your initial goal, or mm-hmm. you, well, certainly one of your or your initial entree, was the you know the kids working in Philippi and growing the vegetables. What percentage of your product, your raw ingredient, do you get from them still? Oh, it still it varies because the farm is growing as we're growing as well. So some months we'll get... Absolutely every bite of spinach that you'll get in the shop will have come from the farm and other months it'll maybe be about 50% or so. But over the past, say, two months, now that the rains and the sun have come, we just, oh, you're looking at about 
30 to 40 percent of our fresh produce coming from the farm and i hope by next year we're going to be looking at at least above 50 percent just lastly um you're talking about spinach and cabbage and kale and, and broccoli and all those things are they are they growing any things that are more difficult to get in the shop so if you are you encouraging perhaps some more sort of exotic type herbs or we start we've actually just started the third phase um which uh, the project manager there, Kirsty Hunch, uh, we've decided we're going to start experimenting with more herbs and um, the rockets and the different lettuce leaves. It's also quite temperamental out there in Philippi. They have an incredibly high iron count in the water. So we get uh, beetroots that are about the size of a soccer ball. Um, but we don't know how that's going to affect, you know, the more delicate leaves and the herbs. So it's it's a growing process. As we grow, they grow. And mm. as they grow, then we also grow. Shannon, it sounds like there's a book in this, so hopefully that's part of your future as well, a, a pure good book, because it certainly sounds like you've got a, a bit of knowledge to share, and it's been fabulous sharing it with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nancy, Thank you. for having me. Well, if you'd like to find out more, go to uh, Pure Good They're in Cape Town, and the name of the road is? St. John Street, and we're number 21. Around the corner from Parliament. But if you'd like mm-hmm. to check it out, have a look at the website. It's puregood.co.za, puregood.co.za. Breast cancer affected my whole childhood. Fear or denial could deprive your children of a mother. There are so many women desperately in need of your help. Remember, early detection saves lives. Thanks to your support, a new mammography track has been launched. Book now for the Pink Tie Gala Dinner and High Coffee events happening in October. For more details on how you can support this initiative, go to www.pinkdrive.co.za. It's been two decades since South Africans of all races voted in our country's first free and fair election. The Freedom Fridays campaign calls on all of us to take pride in our nation and celebrate the road we've traveled since 1994. So every Friday, wear something that expresses your pride in being a South African. The colors of the national flag, traditional attire, the national soccer or rugby jerseys. Or anything that reflects solidarity with a 20-year celebration. Freedom Fridays, proudly South African. Send us your messages and photos on Facebook and Twitter. Hashtag Freedom Friday. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Right, well, next up here on the Enviro Show, it's time for our forage feature, the one that we always enjoy. And what we're foraging for today is beer. So if you're a beer drinker, stay with us, stay tuned. And let's find out a little bit about Hops Hollow Brewery. We have on the line manager Freddie Swanepoel to join us. Hi, Freddie. Good day. Nice, nice to have you with us. Thanks very much. Freddie, Hops Hollow, where are you? And tell us a little bit what sort of size brewery you are. Where are you, first of all? Uh, we are about uh, situated 22 kilometres out of uh, Leidenburg. Okay. Um, the, the types of, we're on the long-term pass. The types of beers that we do, um, we've got four different beers. It's, it's um, like a stout, English bitter, uh, Belgium, Whitbeer, and uh, German Kolsch. Oh, my goodness me. That's quite, a, that's quite a range, isn't it? I suppose the most important hops hollow, the most important thing is where are you getting your hops? Are they growing in the area? Uh, no, no, no. Unfortunately, we have to import the hops. Okay. Where do they come from? Uh, various parts of the world, like Slovenia, the Czech Republic, we some, get some of them from South Africa as well. Okay, from whereabouts in South Africa? I think down in the, the sort of George region, really, is where they grow, is it? <laughs> no, we don't buy directly from them. We have suppliers that we deal with, uh, but it could be some from George. Okay. Is are hops very, um, are they very climate sensitive that you're not able to grow them in the sort of the Leidenberg area? Uh, we do have a hops plant here, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, we haven't really tried to, to do it by ourselves yet. Okay. How long have you been going? Uh, since 2001. And what's your, what's your background? I mean, are you a brewmaster? Where have you trained? How have you got to learn about this? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the, the place was originally started uh, by Theo de Beer, and then he sold the place uh, to Willy Buita, who is the current owner now. And um, he's employed some brewmasters in the past. And at the moment, we have Colin as the brewmaster, and he's an excellent brewer. What sort of quantity are you producing? I and mean, we all know that we've got, you know, the real 
big brewers in in South Africa. We've got South African breweries. To what extent are you able to compete, or are you very niche? How much beer do you produce annually? Um, well, I can tell you per month we 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 can go up to two thousand five hundred liters, and if we stretch it a bit, we can do a little bit more. And we're not trying to compete with with any other breweries. Um, this is just a passion of ours. So um, hops, obviously, is the main ingredient. Talk us through what goes into beer and the whole process. Uh, well, basically, the water is very important. Our water is fountain water that we get out of the mountain. And then we have the hops. Uh, the other ingredients uh, from where we get our sugar is the malt. From there, when we get the sugar out of the malt, uh, we boil uh, the malt and we add the yeast, uh, sorry, the, the hops and other ingredients like coriander. <laughs> My brother is sitting with me and he's also a black now. Uh, we, we have certain things that we put in like dried nachi peels, ginger and stuff, but it's all different beers so they have different ingredients. And then when, when it's finished cook, uh, boiling, we pump it through to the fermentation tank where we add the yeast at the top, which makes it an ale. And it stays there for seven days, but then we pump it to the conditioning and carbonation tanks. And uh, they stay there for another 14 days, and it's beer. Okay. And we can enjoy it. Nachi peel. Uh, you blow me down with a feather. I must have never heard of that before, but then what would I know about making beer? Is it is it quite experimental? I mean, you mentioned the four different types of beer that you make. Are there tried and tested recipes for those beer types, or are you in no. the, able to experiment? Um, these, these recipes that we have at the moment, they are registered, and... Um, so we, we don't change anything on it at this stage. Uh, we, we've got the, the flavour that we need, and we just keep on going, bringing good beer on this side. Mm. One of the things that we have heard before, I think uh, you mentioned the water there. The water is very important. What sort of yes. quantity of water do you need? I mean, in other words, how much water do you need to make a, a litre of beer? A litre of water. Okay. Uh, maybe Maybe a little bit more. Because you've got the boiling and, and stuff like that. Uh, but the water is very important, but we also need water to clean before and after the brew, where we use different chemicals, four different chemicals, to clean the, uh, the tanks and the pipes and everything. So the footprint of a litre of beer is quite heavy by the time you've imported your hops, um, use all that water for sluicing everything out. Is it, is it quite a... Mm, an energy costly product. Yes, and it's expensive as well. Yeah, is it worth it? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, if you if you uh, if, if you have the guys uh, drinking your beer and they say it's nice, uh, that's the satisfaction we get from it. And what about the bottling thereof? Do you uh, do you import the bottles? Where do those come from? Uh, no, the bottles we get locally in South Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've got plastic bottles at the moment, but we're changing to glass now. Yes, it's all from South Africa. Okay. What are your plans ahead? I mean, you're making quite your 2,500-odd uh, litres a month. What are you, Do you plan to expand? Do you send your beer around the country, or do people have to come to you, to Leidenberg, to enjoy it? Currently, uh, we're selling... Mostly just here at the moment, but we are going to start marketing as soon as we've got our uh, glass bottles going, which will be within the next two weeks or so. Then, yes, then we will be going to the liquor stores and the restaurants. Uh, we've got a couple of restaurants already that have our beer there and have our beer there. Just lastly, Freddie, you mentioned that I think within a, relatively speaking, a short time, your product becomes beer. What's the shelf life of beer? Once it's bottled, does it last for a very long time or does it go off in the bottle like wine can eventually? Yes. Um, I'm glad you asked that. Um, we don't add preservatives to this beer, so it's a very healthy beer, but that shortens the lifespan. Mm. 
as soon as it's bottled in a bottle, we, we, we normally say it must be kept refrigerated and the lifespan will be about two months. But they are still good after four months, so yes, but it must be refrigerated at all times, otherwise it goes off. So if somebody's got to drink all those 2,500 litres of beer, it doesn't sound, <laughs> doesn't sound like too much of a problem. Um, Freddie, if anybody would like to know a little bit more, a uh, website? Yes, uh, we, are, we are at Hops Hollow, one word, yeah. at gmail.com. That's your, that's your email address, so that's hopshollow at gmail.com. Is it then hopshollow.com? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yes, that's right. Excellent. Paul, thank you very much. Enjoy your beer, and it certainly sounds like you are having a jolly good time making that beer. Freddie Swanepoel, he is the manager at Hops Hollow, and if you'd like to find out more, check their site. It's hopshollow.com, hopshollow.com. Every weekend, SAFM brings you the people at the centre of the stories. We give you a clear perspective on national and international events. Find out how on Weekend AM Live from 6 every Saturday and Sunday morning. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Sick of always missing your favorite SAFM shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free podcast service that allows you to access them directly from your cell phone, PC or tablet, whenever and wherever you're ready to listen. Go to safm.co.za and click on podcast. This takes you to the SAFM page on iono.fm. Follow at iono.fm on Twitter or like it on Facebook for regular updates. You never have to miss your favorite shows. SAFM Podcasts, powered by Iono.fm. Last but not least here on the Enviro Show tonight in our Green Goody feature, what could be greener than the Rocking the Daisies Festival? It's coming up between the uh, between today, the 2nd and the 5th of October. And we've got on the line to tell us all about it, Craig Bright. Hi, Craig. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Rocking the Daisies. How many years have you been rocking the daisies now? Well, we actually did our ninth year, so obviously next year's a, a big one for us. It'll be our ten years, so yeah, it's been a been a crazy nine years. Yeah. Um, you know, our first year we had seven hundred tickets to be sold. Uh, today we're selling out at twenty thousand. So wow. yeah, it's been quite a quite a process and quite a yeah, quite an uh, incredible journey. It certainly is. Well, you're obviously doing something right. And uh, yeah. aside from all the other sort of you know the blast that everybody's happening, it's a very green. I mean, you really do ro- go rock on the green ticket, don't you? What what's the mandate of rocking the daisies? Well, we try and be as uh, sustainable as possible. You know, we try and um, leave leave no carbon put, uh, uh, footprint behind. So everything we do is a, a sustainable um, exercise, and we re- really pride ourselves in the, in the greening of our festival, um, from the waste, the recycling of the waste, to the um, walking the daisies, to the cycling the daisies, where we give discounted tickets to those fans um, because uh, there's a zero carbon emission there. Um, we encourage people to carpool. So instead of uh, arriving one person in a car, we've got um, uh, four people arriving in a car together. Uh, we actually reward those people. We've got trash back initiatives. So people bring back, bring a, tra- a bag of trash to um, a specific area, and um, they uh, get given a beer for every bag they they um, give to us. Um, and we, yeah, it's, it's, it's just uh, there's just so many uh, things that we do. Um, all our en- uh, energy efficiency that we do, we encourage that. Um, all our traders use uh, um, biodegradable um, boxes, uh, so it's takeaway boxes. So um, it's a really, really big project, and um, we've won some international awards for our efforts, and uh, we're really proud of, of, of uh, the greening initiatives that, that we have in place. That's really impressive, you know, because festival goers generally are not known for their sort of t- tidy habits unless they're very sort of hippie. But I'm just wondering how sustainable it is. So what do you do? You give a free beer for every bag of rubbish people bring. Yeah, if, you, wow. if you're in the campsite and you, and you bring a bag of rubbish to us, a big black bag of rubbish, we'll give you a free, a free beer. It just sort of gets people thinking about what we're doing. It gets the, you know, we've got this huge platform, 20,000 people that are going to be at our festival. It's a great opportunity to educate people on what we're doing as a massive festival to keep um, our carbon footprint low and to be sustainable. And, um, you know, if, if we can do it on a scale of that size, um, you know, you can just to go home and just, t- just take one or two ha- uh, things from the festival and, and incorporate it into your own lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like recycling your waste at home, for example, switching the lights off when you're not in a room or, you know, uh, not leaving your TV on standby, actually turn it off. I mean, 
you leave your TV on standby, it's still consuming energy. Um, switching your geese off when you leave the house, you know, those are all excellent ways to save, save uh, energy. And also, at the end of the day, you save yourself some money. Where are you? I mean, you make it sound quite tempting. I'm thinking about all those free beers for the, the bags of rubbish. Where is it? Where is it happening? And is it, does it always happen in the same place? It always happens at the same place. It's Cliff Wine Estate. We have a wonderful relationship with them. We actually um, have uh, made 10,000 bottles of uh, Rock in the Daisy's Cliff Wine. So it's a limited uh, edition of uh, um, wine that you drink, 5,000 whites and 5,000 reds. And it's all in PET um, uh, recyclable um, yeah, plastic bottles. So that's, uh, that's, that's going to be, I mean, if you want to buy yourself some nice uh, wine, you can go some at the festival. There's Cliff Wine Estate just about 85 kilometers up the west coast. Um, an hour out of Cape Town. It's really beautiful out there. And um, yeah, we're really, really looking forward to this year. It's going yeah. to be fantastic. Lots of music, lots of action, all sorts of things. But, you know, it really sounds like you should be popping up all over the place like daisies. I mean, lovely <laughs> that you're there at the Kloof, um estate. But, you know, is it something that you could that could be replicated elsewhere in the country? Yes. So when we, uh, we, have a, we have an experiential marketing agency called Seed, and we actually run the whole show. Um, so it's a separate business to us, but um, we incorporate all our greening and all our um, uh, as much as possible in our own business. At, uh, and so we recycle all our stuff in our office. I mean, every event that we do, we have uh, we have these greening initiatives in place. As, uh, uh, although it's not as as loud as what we make it at Rocking Daisies, because Rocking Daisies is our flagship and that's our main property, and it's the the one message we're trying to drive the whole time. I mean, our our, our tagline is. Um, uh, well, you know, play play a hard tread lightly. So it's, you know, have a good time, but do it in a in a sustainable and um, you know really uh, think about the environment when you're doing it and uh, and and leave with a with a good conscience. Craig, just lastly, who's we? Who whose brainchild was this? Well, it's myself and my business partner Brian Little. We started it nine years ago, and uh, we've um, basically uh, taken on obviously lots of staff through the process, and we've got a wonderful team that works with us. And uh, my brother came on, he took over the finances, Mark, so he's, uh, he runs the finances for us now, he's also a partner, but um, yeah, so I mean, we, call, we say we, and that's everybody that's involved in the festival, I'd say, because um, everyone just really, uh, our suppliers to our uh, guys running different stages, they all bring, they all, they all really, really bring it, bring something to the festival yeah. that's special and unique, and um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really strong group of people that are working together create something beautiful. Well done you guys. Absolute huge pat on the back. It's lovely, absolutely lovely. And the 10th one that's going to be a really biggie next year. I promise to try yeah. and get myself there. Craig Bright, thank you very much. May it be the best Thanks. first ever. And if anybody would like to find out more, it's rockingthedaisies.com is the website, yeah? Yeah, that's right. And uh, thanks so much for having us. Oh, it's uh, my yeah. pleasure. Wonderful. Have a, have a beautiful afternoon. And thanks you. so much, Nancy. Take care. Cheers. <laughs> you too, Chava. Craig Bright, Rocking the Daisies Festival organiser and founder by the sounds. If you'd like to find out more, rockingthedaisies.com. Don't forget it's happening. Uh, it's happening from the 7th, uh, sorry, to the 2nd to the 5th of October. So get yourself along there and have a ball. It's at the Kloof Estate. That's it for the Enviro Show tonight. Hope you've enjoyed it and hope you'll join us again right here at the same time next week. Thanks very much to the team. That's Albert Clarson, Kim Winter, and I'm Nancy Richardson. Next up, it's time for the news and lots of music at 10 o'clock.